Alright, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible or don't have a smartphone or tablet or it's imprinted on your brain, you can use the Bible sitting right in front of you. We've been in a, in a series on priorities. Last week we talked about priorities at work and how we're to shine like stars in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. And kind of our next iteration over here of the things that we can handle are just the idea that we're, we're shining like stars uh, in the midst of the darkness. You know, when, when you get your priorities straight, uh, so much else gets straightened out. This is from an old Far Side cartoon, the great Gary Larson. And when you figure out your priorities, a lot of other things really kind of smooth out. First pants, then your shoes, right? This week we're talking about priorities in the approval that we seek. Uh, God goes to great lengths to talk to us much about approval and whose approval we're to seek. And because he goes to great lengths to communicate that, it's made our priorities list. It's made this series to say this is something really important to get nailed down and to get clear on what God has said. And if you have kids who've been in, in sports within the last year, raise your hand. Let me see. Okay? Yeah, a good handful of us uh, in the room. Parents at their kids' sports games ranges from fun to funny to downright ugly. Uh, this is something, this little tunnel is something that started when my kids were kind of younger. And I always thought that'd be so cool to run through this wall of parents and siblings and stuff cheering. And you see different kids come through. Some are, you know, some are running through like this because it's too loud. There's always that kid who makes like 25 laps through the tunnel, you know, and, and it's just so fun. It's just this really cool encouragement where both teams are running through the wall of encouragement and just kind of kind of getting loved on it. So it's a really cool thing. But it also gets really ugly sometimes. It's not uncommon for fights to break out at sports events, but increasingly that's happening between parents of opposing teams or parents and the ref. And, and that's, just a, that's just a result of too much MMA and not enough restraint. That's what happens when you get that. That, that combo happens. And what's really sad is they don't even set a good example with good fighting. I mean, it's always just a jumbled mess. They can't even get a bad example right. If you've ever seen a video, it's just this like, ah! like this just mash of nonsense. And it ought to turn your stomach that that goes on. It turns my stomach to, to, to just see that. I had this unique dad... And he was one of those guys that could care less uh, about millionaires who get paid to play sports. He didn't care about any sports except his own kids' sports. But at his own kids' sports, he wouldn't miss an event, and he would cheer us all on like we were the MVP of the team. And what's interesting is that hasn't happened now for decades, but I still can hear Dad cheering me on from the sidelines. There's a, there's a huge encouragement that comes from a parent that's cheering on their child. It's really telling to watch kids play sports. I, I love to people watch, and I love to people watch kids playing sports watching their, their, their parents. If they do something really, really good or really, really awful, they most often will very quickly look for the sidelines. And you know, they don't scan the sidelines for their coach. They're looking at mom or they're looking at dad. And I think most often, Dad, and here's what I think it is. I think Mom's acceptance of them is readily apparent to them. God's wired moms in general to, to communicate. You're loved. But there's something about, about guys and dads that have this, this really big pull. And a lot of times, 
kids are seeking out this information from dad. Do you approve of me? Are you proud of me? I've talked to adults who've confessed, you know, I am striving in life. I'm striving at my career. I'm striving at these different things. And I realize what I'm doing it for is to hear dad say, I'm proud of you. I love you. I accept you. And here's the weird part. I'm an adult and dad's been dead for a couple decades. And I'm still in this mode of striving for approval. The dad poll is really huge on life, but there's something even weightier than that. It's the heavenly father pull. It's the weight of what God says about us and what we think God feels about us that has a tremendous pull in life. Did I tell you to turn to John 6 yet? John 6, that's where we're at. Okay, you're you're at John 6. So if you're taking notes, just jot these down. I want to show you two really massive statements from two very famous events Um, You know, at a graduation, at a wedding, uh, as someone moves out, there are certain key times in life where where a parent's words are kind of stick with you a little more. They're they're big events. They're big moments. And and you listen kind of extra close as a kid to to what's being said of you in those moments. You kind of have a sense, I think I'll not forget this the rest of my life. And there's a couple of key moments in Scripture where God makes some massive statements. One of them is at Jesus' baptism. In Mark 1.11, it says this, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. A second really huge event is, is called the transfiguration. It's basically this moment where Jesus is glorified for a moment here on earth. This is pre-death, pre-resurrection, pre-going back to the Father. And, and there's a little sense where, where the veil's taken away um, a little bit, and there's only a couple of disciples up there with them. And it says this in Matthew 17, 5. While he was still speaking, who was speaking? Peter, right? Of course it's Peter. He's just, he's bumbling words out because he didn't know what to say. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Close the pie hole, Peter, and listen to Jesus. Stop talking. That was the message. Two really big sweeping statements. Really, these are audible crescendos that, have, that are just confirmations of what God has been pro- proclaiming about His Son for centuries by this point, through the prophets. Listen to Isaiah 42.1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That was God the Father speaking about God the Son, Jesus, through the prophet centuries before he was born. And there's so many more like that. Spoken words of blessing. Uh, I have a three-year-old son, and he likes to do this sometimes to mom and dad. He'll come up to mom and dad, and he'll take, he'll take our face in his hands like this. He'll kind of grab us, and he'll put us right here in front. And then he looks at us and he says this. He says, I make mommy and daddy laugh from the heart. And it chokes us up. (laughs) It chokes us up. He gets this because Valentine's Day this last year, 
my wife, every day leading up to the 14th, wrote on a little heart something about each of our kids and just put it on their bedroom wall. And Eli and Kai, part of our bedtime routine was, can you read the hearts to us? So we would go through the routine and read the different hearts. And one of the hearts was, Eli, you make mommy and daddy laugh from the heart. And here it is months and months later. And what does our three-year-old want to know to us and talk to us about? He wants to get right up in our grill. And he wants to say, I make you laugh from the heart. And we say, that's right, son. It is really powerful to see in the scriptures what God the Father makes a point of disclosing to us. He makes a point of saying some very clear things. I've been praying for you all all week long. Some of you I knew you'd be here. Others of you I didn't. Welcome. Good to see you, Ashes, in the back. Ben and Mary. Got some out-of-towners here. I've been really praying that you'll get this message. That God, in these two passages, in his son Jesus Christ, is doing what parents do. He's proclaiming, he's disclosing, not just that he's proud of his boy, but that he's pleased with him. Not just I'm proud of you, but I'm pleased with you. You are dearly loved. You make me very happy. I find great joy and delight in you. And I love that he announces it to others. He makes a point of saying it out loud. Did God the Father need to say it out loud for Jesus' sake? No, he didn't. But haven't you ever, parents, said, That's my kid! That one right there, number 11! That's my boy. And that's what, that's what God the Father is doing here. He's proclaiming it for others to hear. Here's what's really powerful about the transfiguration. Who's present with Jesus on, on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember? It's Moses who would represent the law and Elijah who would represent the prophets. And God is glorifying, showing that Jesus in Jesus, come together the law and the prophets in a unique way. And greater than Moses and greater than Elijah is Jesus Christ. And so the transfiguration and the baptism, God the Father is expressing to his, to his kid and to all who are there that he's pleased with him. Jesus pleased the Father and he knew it. Jesus pleased the Father, and he knew it. Prioritizing like Jesus means asking this question. Who do I aim to please? Who is it that I aim to please? Who am I living my life for? Whose approval do I seek? I really see two big categories here. You can live to please God, or you can live to please people. Now, there's one specific person out of that, which would be the self, and I think that might be a third category. So, God, people, or self? Are you living to, to please God? Are you living to please other people? Or are you living to please yourself? I don't see many other categories beyond those. This morning, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time about people-pleasing or self-pleasing. But the Bible and just life examples are filled with wisdom on both of these. Here are the words that come to mind when I think about what the scriptures teach on these. Short-sighted, frustrating, and chasing after the wind. 
That's what living to please the self, that's what living to please other people leads you to. Think of one example in Jesus' life, one week in Jesus' life. Think of Jesus' approval ratings at heading into the triumphal entry, right? I mean, if there were newscasters then, they'd say, Bob, uh, he's, you know, he's tracking really well with, with unions and, uh, and with women and with minorities and with big business um, and even infants. <laughs> you know, the only one he doesn't do so hot with are the bigwigs in the religious community, right? Um, but he's tracking really well. And a week later, what's the message? Kill him! Crucify him! I mean, all the categories do that. And what do his own closest disciples do? They run away and deny that they ever knew him. So Jesus knew the roller coaster of approval rating and wasn't on that ride. He was a God pleaser. I want to talk to you for a moment about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I'm in, I'm in 2 Kings right now. And if you read through First and Second Kings, you see this familiar refrain as it talks about king after king after king. First of all, there's portions of Scripture where it says... That, that the people of God, God's chosen people, um, did what was evil in his sight. But then there's specific call-out and specific mention to leaders doing the same. And so you have things like this. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You have... Um, you have Omri, who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and catch this distinction, and did more evil than all who were before him. That's a bad thing to have added to your name. Because there's already been a bunch of junk going on, and they're saying, this guy did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and there's this guy named Omri who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as well. But he did more than all, and then catch this. Verse 30, five <laughs> verses later. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Even more than dad, who was doing more than everyone else. There's this pattern in the scripture where you see that. Now, there's, a, there's an upside to this. There's others who, right within the same generation or the very next generation, it will say this guy's name and it will say, and he pleased the Lord. He pleased the Lord. And so you have this, this pattern in scripture all through the Old Testament that you see evil being done inside the Lord. How about the New Testament? What does it talk about with pleasing God and, and seeking God's approval? There's all kinds of different teaching in the scripture on different ways of walking that please God. There's also plenty of teaching on those things which displease God, that are a foul scent in his nostrils. And so there's all kinds of teaching on, in, in the scriptures that, that, that teach us that. In Hebrews 11, it's, uh, 11, 6, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. So there's all these clues put in Scripture. There's all this plain teaching. And, and then we get to Jesus. Jesus knew he pleased God and lived to do his will. Jesus, in teaching his disciple about God's approval, said some different things. You can read about it for yourself in Matthew 22. But in Matthew 22, he's telling the story about a wedding feast that's being given. And he talks very clearly about this approved guest list of who's in and who's out to the wedding feast. I'm not going to get into the details of the parable, but very clearly talking about those who are approved or not. He tells another parable about some servants and some servants who hear these words from their master after he returns. Well done, enter your 
rest. And in Matthew 7, 21, he's warning us that it's not just a given that all are approved by God, that all please God. Listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you write nothing else down this morning, write down this sentence. Jesus is approved by God and lived to please him. Jesus is approved by God and lived to please him. The question for us is who do I aim to please? I don't know if you've ever wondered where all of your pleasing comes from, whether it's God-pleasing, self-pleasing, or people-pleasing. But I think much of our actions and much of our decisions and much of kind of our guttural response to situation can trace back to whose approval we're chasing after. So if you get this settled straight, I think so many things will begin to get settled straight. I realize today, some of you, I'm just calling you to remain where you are. Rest in that. Remain. Keep at it. Keep living for, for God's approval. For others of you, I'm calling you to that place. How we all long to be deeply loved. To know that we're completely and totally and truthfully accepted. That we're approved of. There's kind of a flip side, kind of a darker side to today's message And it's the opposite of words like acceptance, approval, and pleasing. Words like rejection and condemnation. Living lives that you feel unwanted, you feel unclaimed. One of the things that our kids are going to notice when they walk around the streets of San Francisco, many of you have have gone with us up there and and know this and been here as well. Um, there, There are just many, many people who feel unclaimed, like this piece of luggage here. Like no one's come and taken them. Isn't that a sad picture? You'll never look at the baggage claim the same anymore. You're like, I'll take you. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. It's it's bad. Pure motives, but you'll end up in jail, uh, airport jail. So, um, but you know, I I uh, I met some kids over here uh, a few weeks ago, um, and and it was so neat because they just they they trusted me uh, very quickly in a very short span of time to just begin sharing some of their story. Um, and these, these are local kids who went to school right next door and right down the street. Um, and, and today, right now, they are living estranged from their family. Two of them have family in the area. Um, and, and here's their side of it. Always two sides of it. No question. But here's their side of it. Uh, uh, 18, 20, and 24 years old. Their side of it is we don't please our family. We are not wanted by our family. And pressing into that and asking, well, how come? What, what is it? They, they shared. They opened up and, and told me some of that. Uh, the other day I was praying. And this week I was actually going to go search out kind of where they live. They, they told me where they're staying. And, and people who are on the streets tend to move around a lot. And I was just going to go search them out and um, bring them some things. I brought them some snacks and they really liked them. I was going to bring the exact same thing. And they walked by my house yesterday on our way out the door. Church of the Chimes, right down the street, has a feeding program every Saturday night. By the way, if you ever want to go join forces, go talk to, talk to a guy named Pastor Burl. He'll be happy for the help. Saturday nights, a lot of the homeless from our city walk past my house on the way to Church of the Chimes. And I just got to touch base with them and just say, man, I've been thinking about you guys. I called them by name because I met them out here. 
And what's powerful as you meet people on the streets is you realize, wow, these are people living the unclaimed life, the unwanted life. But here's what's even more powerful. I passed a Tesla owner yesterday. You know, Tesla owners often feel unwanted and unclaimed. People who wear suits and make powerful decisions that affect a lot of people and move a lot of money around live the unclaimed, unwanted life as well. Churchgoers. People in here that feel deep rejection. Feel as if there's, there's not acceptance available to them. There's not love available to them. It may be true of other people, but I don't believe it for myself. That's the flip side of all of this. That's, that's the, the darker side. You see, there are powerful and destructive voices that can be absolutely relentless on us. And sometimes so loud that they just, they just begin to take hold of our lives. And what's deeply true of us doesn't seem true of us anymore. And so we latch on to other ideas and other words that begin to overshadow the real us. In response, you may try harder, you may run away, you may shout back, but worst of all is to join the chorus of voices. And perhaps you're in this room, perhaps you've talked to people like that, that they've just joined in on the voices beating them down. And they've begun to believe it and take it on as a title. Sin that separates every single one of us has clouded our true nature. Thus the need for a savior. Thus the need for a rescuer out of this. Do you rest in God's love? Can you say without a doubt that God loves you today? Are you sure in that? Do you know, like Jesus knew, that he was approved of God and thus it altered the way that he lived? Maybe you have a biblical name, maybe you don't. But having the name David... Um, I've always related to the character of David in the Bible. When I was young, I wanted to find out a lot about David because he shared my name. And I began to really relate and identify with David, not, not so much because I saw in me all the things that, that he was, but I, I certainly aspired to a lot of the things that he was. And so as a kid, I had picture Bibles. And when I was bored in church, when some guy was up talking at church, I would flip through my Bible and look through the, the illustrations. And I've still got this Bible that I can tell you every detail of those pictures because I looked at those pictures long and hard. One of them was about a guy named David. David was a younger brother, so was I. David was ruddy and handsome, and I always imagined myself like, Lord, please let that be true of me. You love me! Um, David was adventurous and brave. Uh, David was musical and poetic. David became a leader. David was called a man after God's own heart. I remember thinking, God, I want to be all those things. Now, David did some things I don't want to do like us all, but, but I, I held David up and I thought, man, it would be just so neat. But, but here's, here's the thing that was most powerful by far. It was the name that we shared. It was the name that we shared. See, David in Hebrew means beloved. And I've known my whole life that the name David means beloved. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I really got it, that I really understood. You know what? Beloved doesn't mean I'm going to be beloved from other people. It means I'm loved from God. And I wore that name, I wore that title, and at 17 years old, it flipped my life around completely. As a Christian now, as a preacher now, I long to tell people. I know that I kind of stutter and stammer my way through messages sometimes, and some of you go, what's he trying to communicate? 
But as I pull out my, you know, my pocket change of words and I, I try to communicate things, one of the big ideas that I long to communicate to, to people is this word, beloved. And it's more than a word. This is a title. This is a giant theme of the scriptures. Don't you see God singing a song over us and he's saying, you are the beloved. Come to me. I created you. I love you. Come to me. There's a bigger story though, right? Sin tricks all of us. Sin tricks all of us into becoming self-pleasers. In fact, we're born that way, to, to please the self. And being tricked into pleasing the self, sometimes the way we please ourselves is we say, I think if we get affirmation from other people, it'll be pleasing to myself. And so we go that route. And one day we wake up in the pig slop that self-pleasing leads to. And, Lord willing, come to our senses and say, is this, is this really all there is? This really is chasing after the wind. And in Jesus Christ, a rescue is provided. A way of restoration is provided. The way back home to the Father. John 6. I told you we'd get to John 6. took a while to get there. Jesus shows us the life of the Beloved. He's the Beloved Son. Listen to what He says in John 6.35. Jesus said to them, He says seven great kind of I am statements in the book of John. Here's one of them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, approved by God, lived to please God. And throughout the scriptures, you see this idea of obedience and doing the will of God as tying into to pleasing Him, to doing what, what He wants done. Here's the great news of the gospel. We get in on this through Christ. In Christ, we are approved by God, and now we live to please Him. We live not for His approval, but we live to please Him because of our approval. There's all kinds of crazy, and I would say demonic ways and ideas about how to get in good with God. I call them demonic because of of this simple fact. If life is pointing this way, and anyone comes along and changes the arrow to any other direction, do you see that it's not just a benign act? It's not just a neutral act. Haha, I got him. It's actually pointing them to death. So any way that isn't accurately showing you the way to life is pointing you to death. Now let me tell you some biblical examples of these crazy demonic ideas about how to get in good with God. One is to sacrifice your children. A common practice by a lot of false demonic deities of the day. Another is self-mutilation and harm. Another is to do rituals and observe certain things. Um, Another one is to pay for it. We see that in the New Testament. 
trying to just buy your way in. What's interesting is we haven't left most of those. In some of our civilized society, we do different twists on it, but we haven't left those completely. Common ones today are living a good life, gaining some secret knowledge, saying a prayer. The Bible says some clear teaching about who is and who isn't approved. Let me give you a couple. Romans 8.8 8 says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus expanded on this a little bit, talking about being born again. You must be born again. And it confounded the religious leader of the day who was in the flesh. He was thinking of things in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.18 says this. Catch this. It is, not those, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So it's not what you say about yourself as to whether you're approved. It's not believe what works for you, and then you're approved. In the many paths variety that we live right now, it's interesting because if you don't like the versions that are out there, you can make up your own. And you can commend yourself as being approved by God, often pulling from other religions that are out there. And that's seen as a viable path to God. The Bible teaches really plainly on this. In fact, Jesus spoke really plainly on this. He says that he's the only way to get in good with God. I am, here's another I am statement from John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to God except through me. If you think, well, that's just an isolated thing, go to the parable about the narrow gate. Go to the, go to the uh, story about the narrow road. I mean, Jesus taught this quite plainly. The gospel is that we are approved by God by being in the Son, in Christ. Look at this greeting in Romans 16. We often kind of skip through like little things at the end of a chapter. It says, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Isn't that a great spoken word of blessing over someone? Greet this person. They're approved in Christ. It's a great gift to someone. I want to invite the band up right now. I think many Christians have no trouble believing that God exists, believing that God created them, believing that God knows them, believing that God will provide for them. But I think a lot of Christians have a hard time getting their brain around the fact that God delights in them, that God, that, that God is applauding them, that God is cheering them on. God makes it clear from his word that he delights in his children. His desire is for us. Rest in this or return to this. Listen, listen to this song and let the words just speak to you. God's acceptance, the prodigal son, when Jesus shared, shared that with his disciples, taught that. I want you to write down or turn uh, to 2 Corinthians 5.9. And I just want to close with this thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. It says this. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. I opened this morning. Who do you aim to please? Who is it that, that you're, you're going after their approval? As Christians, this is our, this is our heart. It's not even a command. This is the way we're, we're given to this. 
This is one of the fruits of the Spirit that, that our, our, our heart and head are Godward now. What's powerful about this verse is when you look at the context of it, it reveals that it's a far bigger statement. This sounds like whether you're in your dwelling place or whether you're out around town, we just always make it our, our aim to please God. But go up a few verses. Look at verse 6. And if you're listening, just listen carefully. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. There's that phrase again. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then verse 9. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Do you see that that's a much bigger statement than just about this life? Because it's talking about, about all of life, eternal life. That we make it our aim to please Him. And while we're here in this body, at home in this body, we're going to make it our aim to please Him in all that we do. But we know we're not here for long. So be of good courage. I bring you back to a dad on the sidelines cheering his kid on in the game. This is God saying to us, be of good courage. Go with boldness into Monday morning tomorrow. Walk courageously as you head into life aiming to please dad. Max Lucado uh, says this, He has called us home with His Word, paved the path with His blood, and is longing for our arrival. I like how he says that. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank You that we can rest today in the fact that being found in Christ means that we're approved by You. We don't need to struggle for that. But God, you've stirred up in our hearts, in our lives, the joy and the longing that we have to please you. And God, this morning, I, I trust and pray there's, there's confession going on right now. As you call to mind areas that we've let seep in, that we've maybe even coddled or, or made a guest room for in the, in the kind of house of our heart of things that don't please you, of things that are an affront to you. Pig slop. God, this morning we renounce those. We turn from those. We confess those. We trust that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore us to the joy of our salvation. God, we thank you for your mercies that are new this morning. God, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to trust you enough to delight in your law, to delight in what you would have us to do. Thanks for not leaving us in the dark and confused about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.